That's Pass You By there from Carrollton on the positive sound of Spirit Radio, 10 minutes after 11 o'clock. And you're listening to Ronan Johnston, Rojo in the mornings, all the way till 12 noon. And welcome to the last hour of the show. Yes, now, we love our, our animals, don't we? We love our pets, we love our farm animals, we love our horses and greyhounds. And our legends are full of swans and wolfhounds and deer and salmon. Well, our next guest has a closer view than most of us to the love affair that the Irish people have with animals. Because he's been a vet with 29 years experience on his website he says I have had pets in my life since I was 5 years old and currently I share my home with a menagerie of dogs cats guinea pigs rats hens ducks canaries a rabbit a gerbil and a hedgehog I also have a team of a wife and children to help look after the menagerie so we're very well we're delighted to welcome to, to the uh, studio Pete Wedderburn are better known as Pete the Vest you're very welcome to the show good Pete, morning how are you great um, first of all Pete why, why do you think it is I mean why is it that Irish people love animals so much? I, I think it goes back to the tradition of, I suppose, small holdings around the countryside and people, you know, animals were very naturally a part of the community. So, you know, you'd have a dog to help you, um, you know, herd the animals and so on. You'd have cats to control the, the, the vermin in the farmyard and you'd have a, a pig to, to eat the scraps and, you know, eventually to, to, be, to, eaten to be eaten. Yeah. <laughs> and you'd have cattle and sheep. You were surrounded by animals. And so um, it's, it's a very deep part of the Irish psyche. I think nowadays people often tend to be more critical of Irish attitude to animals rather than positive. And I think that's a shame because, I mean, yes, there always have been... Um, cruelty incidents and always will be cruelty incidents. These are often based on ignorance and and people just not taking the time to stop and consider what they're doing. But that's always happened and it always will happen. I don't believe that Ireland is any worse or any better than any other country in that way. I think for the majority of people, animals are really important to them. And I think one of the, one one expression of that would be the fact that Ireland has a very high percentage ownership of dogs. Households owning dogs is a much higher percentage is than it? most countries. It is really over okay. half the households in this country have a have, have a dog, have one or more dogs, and that's a very high percentage. It surely is. Now, given the fact that your 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 pet uh, connection started when you were only five, it's uh, it's not surprising that you you probably always wanted to be a vet. But that's the strange thing. I mean, it's true for many vets, not all vets, but for many vets, um, and for me genuinely as soon as I was conscious of wanting to do anything it was that I wanted to work with animals so when I was very very young as in four or five I had this idea of owning a pet shop but okay. very quickly I realised well actually that's not going to be that good because you're just going to be getting animals in and then selling them on and that's, yeah. that's, that's not really what I want and so then I it moved on as I say, at around five years of age, yes, I want to be a vet. And what happens, I grew a bit older then. I, I remember um, I was drawn to James Herriot's books, All Creatures Great and Small, the television yeah, series yes, followed that. Yes, absolutely, yeah. They're wonderfully well-written books, and they really, I suppose they romanticise the life of a vet. But for, for somebody like myself who already felt that I had a calling to become a vet, his books just confirmed that. So um, it meant that I went into secondary school with the knowledge that I had to do really, really well in exams For sure. to get to get into veterinary college but so it, it made it easier to know early on it sounds almost like a calling almost like a vocational thing that but you go okay this is really what I'm about here yeah. definitely I would be one of those people who um, you know if you ask me what I would do if I won the lotto well I would just carry on doing what I'm doing I, yeah. I love what I do yeah. it's, I, I genuinely feel that I was born to do that and I'm very blessed in that way 
And of course, you have that. You have that thing. Like as you said, you would have been in school and going, "Gosh, actually, I need a lot of points to do veterinary, don't I?" Yeah. So that's so. So in a way, you were spurred by the heart of rather than being like a lot of those kids who were going, "Okay, I have X number of points. What can I do with this?" You were yeah. you were spurred like almost internally by this sense of wanting to be a vet. That's right. That's the way it happened to me. Fab. Um, the, given the fact, I mean, it's almost like a silly question to ask, but there must be days you find it hard too. It is. Um, I, th- I think one of the big challenges in veterinary is that you have to work quite long days usually, as in 10 or 11 hours every really? day you do. And is and that because people are available in the evenings? Yes, or that's yeah. right. A lot yeah. of people can't get to the vet until they get home from work. So our clinic will be open from half eight in the morning till seven at night. So it's a long old day. Mm. Um, and during that, there are many crises and perhaps emotionally the biggest crisis is having to help people through the death of their pets. Oh, and, yeah. you know, um, generally pets are euthanized rather than being allowed to die at home on their own because, you know, we, we are allowed to take away their pain by ending their lives artificially. So mm. we do that. Mm. Um, but that's a difficult thing to do. It's difficult because the act of taking a life is, uh, you know, it's a big thing to do and you never treat that lightly. Yeah. But also you're dealing with the intense emotions of the humans who, who are the companions of the animal. So you have somebody, you might have a 20-year-old a, a girl who has had a dog since she was five years of age and now the dog is, is dying and you're witnessing that. That's um, a so so it, it's a powerful, powerful emotions. And as a vet, I, I certainly find that's one of the most um, difficult bits of my job. You know it's the right thing when you're carrying out euthanasia. You never do it when it's not the right thing. It's always the animal comes first. You're doing the euthanasia for the sake of the animal. But it is still um, emotionally traumatic. I mean, you you mentioned, you know, all creatures great and small. And I remember some very vivid moments like that in, in all creatures great and small. And, and there was... Because he was a country vet, I mean, I, I'd have up and around with And our vet, our local vet, really seems to spend as much time with farm animals as with pets. Do you have that, a bit of that going no, on? No, I, I, when I qualified as a vet initially, I worked in the Scottish Borders on a James Herriot style farm. Oh, right. It yeah. was a practice. So it was great. Like it was, you know, cattle, sheep, horses, pigs, as well as pets. And I really enjoyed that. But after a while, it became obvious to me that... The world that we live in, people have higher and higher expectations. And um, if you want to offer companion animal, as in dog, cat, and other pets, care at the highest level, you really have to specialise in that. I got because you, yeah. there's so much information out there, it's very, very hard to be completely up-to-date and state-of-the-art, if you like, with all those different animals. Yeah, it makes sense. So, so, so you'd have a passing knowledge of all the animals, but you, a lot of vets nowadays would tend to specialise on one particular area that they, they find particularly intriguing and interesting. In a way, that area of specialisation, not just in vets, but the fact that people are also become little specialists about their own pets too, and they're on the internet and they're checking out all that kind of stuff. But does it mean that they're spending a lot more money on, on, their, on their, par- their pets in that way? Um, not necessarily. I think it means there's the there's the possibility of spending more money. Um, for example, if, if, a, if a dog came in to me having developed seizures, um, 20 years ago, I would have prescribed, um, I would have done some simple blood tests and I would have prescribed some anti-seizure medication, anti-epilepsy medication, and that would have been that. Whereas nowadays I could say to them, well, there's a, you know, there's a possibility there's some sort of internal brain problem which could respond to a different type of treatment, such as surgery. Um, would you consider having an MRI scan? So then the dog can go and have an MRI scan. And then, which is mad, like, you know, yeah, for a possi- dog. Well, it, you say it's mad. Yeah. Um, but 
But for a person who's deeply involved with that well, animal, yeah, sure, absolutely, they, yeah, they, yeah. they see the dog as part of their family. Of course, they and do. Yeah. What has also happened in the last twenty years is that, as well as the greater greater um, availability of complex diagnostic techniques, we've also had the arrival of pet insurance in Ireland. Yeah. And that means that people can pay, I don't know, fifteen or twenty euro a month, and if they pay that every month. Then, if there is a, a big crisis that needs all this exotic stuff, well, the insurance company is going to pay the costs of the big investigations, mm. and so it makes it possible. Because obviously, most people aren't going to be able to come up with two or three or four or five thousand euro just like that yeah. for a pet that needs something really expensive. But if they've covered their insurance, then the insurance company will cover the big costs. Of so course they do, so yeah. that that allows it to happen. And, and interestingly, there was a story in the papers yesterday about it was actually an animal for welfare uh, story where the the, the the dog had been you know found almost dead. They managed to, you know, re- rehabilitate the dog, and then the dog went for brain surgery. And it was mm. the first time. I, I mean, I'm sure it happens all the yeah. time, but I never <laughs> ever heard of a dog going for brain surgery. But yeah. there you go. Yes, and I mean, there's someone with those that specialisation in Ireland who can do that. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. The, the market has grown in that way. But I mean, as I say, the, the general person on the street, most people aren't going to spend more money now than they did many years ago. But but for those rare cases it's possible to do that it's still not very extreme I, I, I've met people in the States who've told me stories about cats with renal failure being shipped by private jet across the country to have a new kidney put in. so wow. that is so that they're spending 30 or 40,000 on that That's so amazing. you know still in Ireland is relatively um, moderate yeah. and, and, and um, controlled <laughs> yeah I mean, I mean, the, the, we're just kind of January now so I mean in in a way, I suppose if there's going to be, you know, a kind of an excess of of expenditure uh, on pets and the like, it might be in or around the Christmas time. And of course, the fact that people give pets as as gifts. Um, if someone's just, you know, got a got a pet for the first time, um, what what advice do you give to people who have like a new pet? I mean, a dog or a rabbit or a parakeet or well, a, do you know what? You know? I'd, I'd actually start before that. I'd say before you get a pet. Go and get advice and right. do research on the internet. Um, it's very easy nowadays to find out the right way of doing things. You just need to Google it. Yeah. So information has never been more easily available. So before you get a pet, Google what what do you need to know before getting a puppy. Just yeah. Google that and you'll get all that information. And the same with kittens and birds and everything. And find out, first of all, if the animal is the right type for you and if you're going to be able to look after them properly and then get yourself set up in advance. And that's far more important than waiting until you have an animal and discovering, gosh, this is more complicated than I thought. thought yeah, well, I mean, yeah. We were, it was a great example. We actually had a little, a little uh, beagle puppy. Now, in fairness, what we didn't realise was the person who sold the beagle puppy to us was lying to us. They said it was eight weeks and it was probably only three. Wrong. So it was probably Wrong. in an awful, an awful yes. stage coming to us and yeah. we had a very, very traumatic few weeks with him. I can imagine. Uh, ended up with, uh, with his brother up the road and has had a very happy life but we were overwhelmed by what happened with us in that situation yeah. and I thought gosh or will we ever be able to manage a pet and just in the last couple of months we um, my my, uh, my little girl got a, a, a hamster for her birth and, oh, yes. and honestly the joy that that little animal had brought <laughs> into our house is amazing so you know what I mean that was very healing yeah. for us as a family yes. you know what I mean yeah. Yeah. because again if, if if we'd known oh I suppose you can't really you can't you know legislate for somebody lying to you about it no you can't you know? but, but, but at the same time 
it's very, very important to choose a puppy from the right source. And many of the time I've seen people get into difficulties because they've made the error of, of getting the puppy from the wrong place, from somebody who may be a puppy farmer right. or who may just be in it for the money or for lots of reasons. But, but with a bit of guidance, you can be um, shown how to, how to meet somebody who's going to give you a, sell you a genuine or give you a genuine animal that's, you know, that, that everything is done properly. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, and, you know, I, I read in the Irish Times a few days ago that animal shelters were expecting a surge. There, there is a, the, the, there's an ongoing tidal wave of unwanted dogs in this country, unfortunately. Right. Um, it may peak in January, February, March because of unwanted gifts, but it actually happens all the time. There's over 5,000 dogs every year are put down in Ireland's dog pounds just because they're not wanted. So there's an overproduction of dogs. Now, that figure is better than it used to be. 20 years ago, there were over 25,000 dogs destroyed every year. Right. So with a lot of work by a lot of people, animal welfare groups and others, we've managed to bring that right down to, to around 5,500. But still, a country like Scotland has less than 1,000 every year. Wow. So we're five times that much. That's amazing. Amazing, really. The main issue is that people don't spay and neuter their pets routinely. Okay. Everybody, if everybody did that, the problem of unwanted dogs would be solved within a year. So really, it's it's, it's accidental doggy pregnancies yep. rather than kind yeah. of a situation where there's puppy mills or whatever. It's not really that. No, it's just people let their pets have pups and then think, what the heck are you going to do with do them? With them yeah. And so on. It goes on yeah, from there. I get you. Um, and in that situation, what can people do if it's just not working out and they realise they can't keep their pet? Is it down to the local SPCA? Or well, there are lots of good animal welfare groups around the country um, and most of the people working in those groups, their only interest is to look after the animal. So if you go to them and say, look, I've got into this pickle, what am I going to do? You know, they're going to help you find the best answer for that animal. They may not be completely happy with you for having got into the pickle in the first place, sure. but... As I say, their interest is in helping the animal. So there always is an answer. You don't, unfortunately, people do abandon animals. Um, they even take healthy animals to the vets and ask them to be put down, which we would simply refuse to do. Yeah. But, um, you know, there's no need for those things. You just need to look for the help in the right place. That's interesting. The vet, the vet would not but would not euthanise a healthy animal. Well, it's not illegal for a vet to do that, but every vet would have their own ethics in terms of what they feel. Yeah. They want, they what want they feel do. they can yeah, do yeah. ethically sure. and we certainly would never do that. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. You know what, it's an absolute joy talking to you. Thank you so much for, for jo I promised you I'd get you out in time to go downstairs. So listen, thanks Pete Wedderburn thank you so much for talking to us this morning. Thank God you. bless you. Talk thank to you soon again.